Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Beyond Reason Radio. So I just uh, saw the funniest thing on Facebook I I have to share with you. Apparently, um, Santa Claus is in some trouble. <laughs> yes, Santa Claus. Santa Claus has been accused of sexual assault for letting young girls sit on his lap <laughs> while he asked if they were naughty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. This is Beyond Reason Radio. I, I had to start with a laugh. This is Beyond Reason Radio, your voice of reason in a world that is beyond reason. Yes, we're back. Finally, I was not on at all, all last week when the world was going to hell and people were like, I need a voice of reason and they didn't get it. So I was, I'm on today. I'm going to recap all of the Kavanaugh stuff today and uh much more if you were wondering uh, if you were wanting expecting to listen to carl jackson carl jack jackson asked me to fill in tonight because uh, he had some other stuff to do he will be back next week so don't worry about that but uh tonight it is a special edition special monday edition of beyond reason radio we're on facebook live as well make sure to like the beyond reason radio facebook page and um, we also have, and you heard his voice over there giving his famous Santa Claus impression, I guess, is um, Tom Benson producing tonight as well. How are you, Tom? I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. We got a couple of uh, Yaffe hours here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's similar to happy hour. Yes. But it's Yaffe hours. But now it's it's like a, you know, a restaurant. Sometimes I'll have happy hour, but it'll be like, you know, three hours. That's We got two hours yeah, yeah. Of, of Yaffe hour. Even better. Than happy hour. What you need is a no... what you need is a ladies' night some night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll work on that. I'm just uh, saying, and it's better than happy hour because there's no drinking here. Because ah. I like rarely ever drink. I have never been, believe it or not, I've never been drunk in my entire life. It's never been a thing with me. You're so. not missing a thing. <laughs> not not a fan of that. Take that from it. somebody who's been there. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. We well, have that, to investigate that the was, FBI. That was decades that was decades ago though. It, it doesn't matter, Tom oh, That's right. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I'm calling mm. the FBI right now. They have to investigate my producer. <laughs> so speaking of this Kavanaugh thing, there's a couple of things that I uh, that I'm gonna get to. And by the way, if you have any comments you can call four oh seven 916-5400, or you can text 23680 where standard message and data rates apply. There's one thing I noticed today on Twitter about the Kavanaugh thing. You had the hearing last week. I'm going to give my take on that in a sec. But I noticed, and it bothers me, it bothers me that this is also such a partisan issue. 
It doesn't necessarily surprise me, but it bothers me that this is such a partisan issue, and this is why. This is what I've noticed on Twitter the past couple of days. If you're a leftist, if you're a Democrat, you're posting stuff like, believe her. Believe her. If you're a Republican and you're a conservative, you're posting stuff like, believe him. Believe him. And I'm sitting here and I'm sitting back and I'm going through all this. And I'm saying, I don't know who to believe. I wasn't there. I'm not God. You know? I don't I don't know who to believe. But right now it's totally on partisan lines. I believe and it started with the Democrats this time. It started with the left. Believe her. Believe women. Okay. And then the right saying after especially after his fiery testimony, Kavanaugh's Believe him because they're defensive and they want to defend men. And I'm thinking, because, you know, I always look at the big picture when it comes to this stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking this isn't about belief. I want to look past belief. I can't say who I believe. I don't know. Kav. I've never met Kavanaugh. I've never met Ford. I don't know them personally. I don't you know, I don't know. I wasn't there 35 years ago. I wasn't in the room. So when you're in a situation like that, it's not about belief. It's about the evidence. What does the evidence show? Right now, the only evidence that there is against Kavanaugh are the words of the accuser. That's pretty much it. Now, she gave a compelling testimony she seemed sincere but that's the only real evidence against her now people will bring up the polygraph the polygraph once again is just her words it's affirming that she believes what she's saying that's all the polygraph does other people will say well she told a therapist a few years ago once again all that is is her words she couldn't talk about how she got to this party where the party exactly was, the date of the party, how she got home from the party, and there are no other witnesses who affirm that the party even happened. You have to have corroborative evidence to back this up. Now, why? Because, oh, you're just saying that because you're a Republican and you want a conservative on the Supreme Court. No. I'm saying that because when I look at this movement, the Me Too movement, believe women. Believe all women, no matter what. And then the right says, believe him, no matter what. I'm thinking, these are collectivist. This is groupthink. This is collectivist think. It's a religion. The Me Too movement and politics today has become more like a religion, a dogma, than actually looking at evidence, looking at facts, looking at reason, and coming up with decent conclusions based on them. Notice the words that are being used. Belief. I believe her. These are things you say dealing with religion. I believe in God. I believe in this. These are religious 
terms. And we've now taken these religious terms about what you believe personally in your heart, and we've placed it on the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice. And that's ironic because justice isn't just about belief. It's about looking at the evidence and beyond a reasonable doubt condemning someone or saying someone is not guilty based on the evidence presented. And they're usually guilty if it's beyond a reasonable doubt or if it's a civil case, preponderance of the evidence. Justice is about protecting the right of the individual. But nobody cares about the right of the individual anymore. That's all I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about how can we have a society, if we have a society where an accuser can come forward and make an accusation without evidence, individual rights in this country are dead, are gone. That's why you have innocent until proven guilty. That's why you have a justice system that is supposed to be blind and looks at the evidence. That's why you have these things, because it's about protecting the right of the individual. It's not about this group think, believe all women. Me too wasn't supposed to be a religion based on beliefs. It was supposed to be that women deserve to be heard. And yes, women do deserve to be heard. That does not mean they deserve to be believed. Belief has to come from the evidence. Condemnation has to come from the evidence. Now, Justice Kavanaugh actually made this a similar point in this, and it's the best point I can give you when looking at the big picture of all this. Forget who you believe for a sec. Look at the big picture of protecting the rights of the individual in this country. Does someone deserve to be destroyed if there's not enough evidence? (laughs) Judge Kavanaugh, in the testimony that he did on that he did last week. He brought this up. Go ahead and play cut one for me, Tom Benson. But the mere allegation, the mere assertion of an allegation, a refuted allegation from 36 years ago, is enough to destroy a person's life and career. We will have abandoned the basic principles of fairness and due process that define our legal system and our country. He's exactly right. He's exactly right. Alan Dershowitz tweeted out something similar, and he had an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal today. He said, being on the Supreme Court is a privilege, not a right. But being disqualified based on a false accusation of a crime would be a violation of the fundamental, the fundamental right to fairness. When you ask people in the Me Too movement why they automatically condemn Kavanaugh, why they automatically don't believe him no matter what the evidence, why they don't care about the evidence, it's because, well, men deserve it. Revenge. Revenge. (laughs) It's groupthink. Yeah. It's totally groupthink. It's all men because of the past deserve this because men in the past, a lot of men in the past were bad to a lot of women in the past. Notice this is very similar to so many things in this country today. Black Lives Matter, a lot of it is the same way. It's, it's revenge. It's white people deserve revenge because of the past. And I heard uh, somebody on the National Review podcast made the best statement I had heard in a while. And I actually had it on my Twitter. Let me, let me see if I can find it. But he said, um, 
what did he say? I had it. I, I wanted to get. I wanted to get this exactly right because it was such a good point. Um, uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I'm gonna have to. Well, now, now I'm really delaying. Now I've just totally been a halt to this. Anyway, he basically said that one in you know replacing one injustice for the other is not mm-hmm. justice. Mm-hmm. Justice denied. Right. What we should be going for is justice, and justice has to be about protecting the rights of the individual. When you go after all men and accuse, because that's what I've heard from the Me Too movement, you know, today in the past couple of days. Well, these are white men. And anytime someone defends Kavanaugh, it's, um, well, you hate women and you're just a male chauvinist or whatever it is. And that's not what this is about. Justice should be about protecting the rights of the individual. And unfortunately, it's not about that anymore. Now that I have some other observations I want to make on the whole Kavanaugh thing, if you have any comments, you can call 407-916-5400, text to 23680. Some observations of different people I have talked to this week that you won't really hear a lot in the mainstream media. And uh, we're going to go over that. A lot. Uh, we have a lot. We have a lot more to this. Um, yeah. This is. This is. Um, dang, I can't find. What? I can't find that tweet from the guy from the National Review. It's really. It's really bothering me because it was such a profound truth, and I thought I posted it on, on my Twitter, and I just don't think I see it. Oh well. This is Beyond Reason Radio. This show is already beyond reason. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe. We will be right back. If you heart Beyond Reason Radio. Listen to the Beyond Reason Radio podcast on iHeartRadio. Just download the iHeartRadio app and search Beyond Reason Radio. Your voice of truth in a world of fake news. Beyond Reason Radio continues right now. Okay, so I found the quote. I wanted to get Yay. I wanted to give this guy credit because he's really good. I I was listening to uh, one of the National Review podcasts, and a guy by the name of Charles C.W. Cook was on there uh, as a columnist for them, one of the editors, been on a bunch of things. And that makes me want to read more and more of his stuff. But he, he said this kind of in the conversation. He said, you don't correct historical injustices by imposing new ones. Mm. And that's so much of what I'm seeing right now when it comes to the Kavanaugh thing. It's also what I see when it comes to Black Lives Matter or a bunch of other things. It's that they have this mindset that men kind of deserve this because of the past. Because women were not always treated fairly in the past. That men now, they're just getting their comeuppance. It's a revenge tactic. It's collectivist mindset. It's groupthink collectivist mindset. And it's very dangerous where that kind of mindset leads. That's why you have protesters in restaurants inter, you know, interrupting senators. That's why you have Antifa violence. That's where that kind of mindset leads, that collectivist mindset. You don't correct historical injustices by imposing new ones. It's exactly right. I wasn't in the past. 
I've never sexually assaulted anyone. I wasn't there. I never owned slaves or anything. But I'm a white man. How do I deserve it? Real justice is about justice for the individual and having all individuals treated equally and fairly. But so much on the left, because they have a collectivist mindset, not an individual liberty mindset, can't understand that. Another thing that kind of bothers me about all this, and it has to go with the partisan aspect, is so much of this is treated, I don't know if anybody else notices, but so much politics, the first segment I talked about how politics has become a religion. And the main reason why politics has become a religion is because we're abandoning religion. We're abandoning God. We're abandoning faith. So we're filling that vacuum with something else. And one of the things we're filling the vacuum with is politics. And it's not good. But I've noticed that politics, and it's always been like this a little bit, but I've noticed that politics more and more is like a sport. It's like watching sports. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, yeah. Most of <laughs> most of the conversation after the testimony on Friday was, well, the performance of Kavanaugh or the performance of Ford, it was literally like watching SportsCenter after, on Mondays after football on Sundays, how this all worked out. What's the next play? What's the next move? What's the next day game going to look like? Which side is going to come out the victor? Who had the best performance? Who's winning? Yeah, it, isn't it? And I, it just hit me. And I'm like, it's like I'm listening to SportsCenter when I was listening to a lot of the coverage. It just kind of bothers me because I I guess it really shouldn't be like that, but it is. So there is one thing I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed this as well, Tom Benson. But so much of when it comes to the Kavanaugh thing, the left is saying they're trying to portray an image that this is a big-time women's issue and that the women are really the ones who side with Ford's testimony, Blasey Ford. The women are really the one who don't believe Kavanaugh and that if we support Kavanaugh and his testimony or we support his right to due process and not being condemned without evidence, that we hate women or at least it makes women not like us. But what I noticed... Over the weekend and on Friday, most of the people I talked to that were outraged at how the Democrats had treated Kavanaugh mm-hmm. were women. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that I talked to, I mean, I talked to a lot of people. Men were upset, but not, you know, when I'm talking about emotional outrage at what was going on, it was women I was talking to that would that would come me and say this is outrageous this is scary i don't like this at all it was other women saying that to me it wasn't men and i thought you know this is so different than the perception that the media is trying to make when it comes to this issue the reason why women are really upset and want to and believe kavanaugh is because they have fathers They have sons, a lot of them. A lot of them have husbands or boyfriends or brothers. And when I talked to uh, one one woman, she, she had mentioned to me, if somebody tried to do that to my husband, I would be absolutely furious. They see their husband Mm -hmm. or their brother or father in Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Despite what the feminists and the left and a lot of the Me Too movement want to tell you, want you to believe, there are millions of women in this country that support their men. Women want to support men they know. They want to support their husbands. They want to defend their husbands and help their husbands just like Kavanaugh's wife did. I know that's politically incorrect to a lot of people, but it's true. Naturally, a lot of women are going to stand up and support and defend their husbands against attacks. And a lot of times they're going to do it more passionately and more viscerally than other men would do it. That's just the way it is. And there was something I noticed that most people that I had talked to that were really outraged at this whole process we're not we're not men, but we're women. And you know, then I saw this story today from uh, the Associated Press from Columbia, South Carolina. As the Senate is divided on President Donald Trump's Supreme Court pick, so too are women across the country. Female voices have echoed throughout the U.S. Senate this week, demanding male senators justify their support for Brett Kavanaugh, but other women have spent hours calling Senate offices in support of Kavanaugh. It's from the Associated Press. Condemning what they say, what they saw, as an anti-Republican ploy that's damaged not only Kavanaugh's reputation and livelihood, but also his accusers. One woman said it was too timely and strategic. Anything like that makes you question how true it is. But so many women out there support Kavanaugh, support his testimony. And a lot of those women, the ones that we've seen in the news, are ones who have known him for the past 25, 30 years. You know, that's a good point, too, and I didn't think about that until you just brought it up now. Yeah, most of the people defending Kavanaugh are ex-girlfriends or other women that he's worked with. And they come out and they passionately defend him because they're like, I've never seen what they're describing here. He was nothing but a gentleman. Even ex-girlfriends are saying that. That has to say something. Boy, I'll say. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's be, but this idea is, you know, it's kind of like abortion. People, the Democrats and the left try to make abortion, you know, to a woman's issue to get the woman vote. But most people that I know that are really against abortion are women, not men. Why? Now, why is that? Because women like kids. A lot of the women have kids, have been pregnant, have given birth. They understand what's going on inside their body when they are pregnant. They understand that that is a living thing inside of them. And because they understand that, and they're going to understand that more than men are going to understand it, they're going to, they're going to be pro-life and be against abortion. A lot of women I know are really against abortion. And it was the same way with this. It was just uh, just an observation out there. We're going to talk more about the Kavanaugh thing. There's a lot more to get to on the show today. Uh, in the next hour, I'm actually going to talk about something else I noticed, some good news coming out of, believe it or not, the March for Our Lives group. A kid from the March for Our Lives group who helped found that group left that group. And the reason why he left and what he is doing now is um, really, really surprised me because I was really against a lot of what this kid was saying before. 
So it really surprised me. We're going to get to that in the next hour. In uh, And I'm also going to play, uh, speaking of the Kavanaugh thing, we're going to continue that conversation. I'm going to play the interview with Senator Tom Cotton, who was on Face the Nation, with John Dickerson, who was just awful. I don't like him on that show at all. I mean, he, some of these Sunday shows, like Chris Wallace, for instance, mm-hmm. I believe he's, he's pretty Republican. Mm-hmm. But when you watch Fox News Sunday, you can't tell which side he's on of an issue. He wants to be fair. You very rarely can tell what side he is on, people on like, the issue. People like Dickerson just have an agenda they are driving. It at. was so obvious. Now, I always forget her name for some reason. Who is the, the woman that usually does face the nation? Uh, she's the one that replaced Dickerson when he went to the morning show, and I can't think right, of her she, name either. She hasn't been on there. I don't know how long she's been on there, but she usually does an okay job. Mm. I don't notice too much of a partisanship. Jake Tapper's pretty partisan. Chuck Todd is really, oh yeah, really partisan. Um, but when I was watching John Dickerson yesterday, I was like, "This is awful." He's not even trying to hide his his bias. So we're gonna get to that next. Four zero seven nine one six fifty four hundred. Text to two three six eight zero. Standard message and data rates apply. This is Beyond Reason Radio, a special Monday night edition here on News Radio 93.1. If you miss any of the show, you can download the Beyond Reason podcast on iTunes. Your safe space for conservative thought, not for political correctness. Yaffe is back right now. Yes, welcome back to the show. This is a special edition, special Monday night edition of Beyond Reason Radio, where we talk faith, culture, and politics. We're on for two hours tonight right here on News Radio 93.1 WFLA. But if you miss any of the show and catch the podcast anywhere, podcasts are available. And you can catch us on Facebook Live as well, just like the Beyond reason radio facebook page we've been talking about the kavanaugh hearings i have a lot to say on it because i was i didn't do my show last week so it was all building up over a week and now it's just all coming out and i'm sure there's like lots of things i'm missing um but in the last segment i was talking about how i noticed that most of the people that i talked to that were you know vigorously defending kavanaugh and really upset about how the democrats treated him were not men but were women well, I got a text that came in, and you can text to 23680 where standard message and data rates apply from one woman says, I concur. As a woman, I was outraged. The whole thing is ridiculous. And so that that's exactly right. I'm telling you, there are a lot of women because they, they see their husbands there, and they, they would be just as defensive of their own husbands if their husbands or their brother or their sons or whatever were falsely accused so i know the democrats really try to push that and i don't think it's as successful as they think it will be the next thing i wanted to get to though usually on sundays i mean i deliver groceries as a side job but when i while i'm doing it i'll listen to all the sunday shows the podcasts of them all and i happen to listen to uh, face the nation on cbs and my first thought was who is this guy hosting this week? I mean, I know who he is, but John Dickerson, he was so outright partisan and just by it. Like, usually they try to hide their bias a little bit. 
he like didn't try to hide it at all. And what I'm talking about is he was he was interviewing Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas. And I want to play most of this interview. We're going to go through it and stop, you know, in between as I comment on it. But I want to play most of this because I think Tom Cotton made a good point. And then the things that Dickerson was saying were saying. It's it was like Democrat talking points that I've seen over and over again, which is instructive because I want to basically debunk them. But uh, let's let's hear the beginning of the interview, interviewing Tom Cotton on Face the Nation yesterday. Here it is. Judge Kavanaugh 100 percent denied these allegations. There is not a single bit of corroborating evidence. Every evidence that we do have to include the people that Miss Ford herself named either don't recall this incident or they deny that it happened. Did you find Mrs. Ford, uh, Dr. Ford, credible? Miss Ford was sympathetic and she was sincere. She has been victimized by the Democrats in this process, John. They betrayed her own request for confidentiality. They leaked this to the media at the last minute because they are on a search and destroy mission for Brett Kavanaugh. You said... Okay, so for one thing, he's exactly right there. That was a search and destroy mission. And I just want you, I just want to point out one thing. He asked him, does she seem credible? And he gives a pretty honest answer. Seems sincere. And so let's continue on because listen to how Dickerson kind of continues this conversation. It's like he wasn't even listening to Tom Cotton. Here it is. We last talked in November. I think it's important that women feel they can come forward. That's a good change in the norms and the expectations of our society. A woman came forward here, uh, and you're saying basically she said nothing credible. How can women Stop. come forward? He, he didn't say that. Did he ever say that? No. No. And yet his first words were, you're basically saying that she didn't say anything credible. That's not what he said. He said she came off as very sincere. But the fact remains that there is no corroborative evidence. And you can't condemn someone in a country that believes in individual rights. You can't condemn someone just based off of one seemingly credible testimony. She could believe 100% what she's saying and still be wrong. And still be wrong. That has happened many times in the past especially with situations like this. So I want to continue on uh, the interview here. Here's more of the interview. If when they do, they're, they're told they're not credible. She came forward confidentially to Diane Feinstein. Diane Feinstein did not share that with the proper authorities. Chuck Grassley, her counterpart, with whom she served for decades in the Senate and the that. FBI, that could have reviewed these matter confidentially. Mm -hmm. Then they leaked it to the media, All right. but created, Senator, creating the circus environment you've seen for the last two years. So that a woman thinking about coming forward will have it immediately turned into a partisan issue, as you've done it. Her, her issues are not being discussed by you. You haven't discussed them since you've been here. Why would a, would a person want... Stop. That's exactly what he's doing is, is discussing it. He's saying, look, there's just no evidence. Oh, well, women aren't going to want to come forward now because you're not discussing the issue. He never said she doesn't deserve to be heard. He's actually sympathizing with her because of how the Democrats treated her be, which is true because the Democrats held this for weeks, then leaked it to the media. Then she had to come testify when she wanted to be anonymous. And if they really believed it, they should have released this letter weeks ago. They should have had all of this out there, but they waited to the last minute and it was done on purpose to 
delay. Tom Cotton's exactly right. And it was like John Dickerson wasn't even listening. And this is what I'm hearing from all the left and all the Democrats. Continue on to come forward if immediately the response is to get ground up in this partisan thing. You're blaming it on the Democrats, fine, but she's still a human being who has come forward. How should she be? How do you process what she said? John, any impact that this entire episode has had on women's willingness to come forward and report sexual assault, which I encourage them all to do immediately after it happens, is caused by the Democrats. It's caused by Dianne Feinstein and Chuck Schumer not respecting her request for confidentiality. Now, when you come forward with an accusation as serious as this, it has to be tested against the evidence and against proof. Stop right there. I mean, that's common sense, you would think. Mm -hmm. When you come forward with an accusation that's very serious, and he's admitting there that it's a serious accusation and it has to be taken seriously, you have to come forward with some proof. So far, Lindsey Graham and the prosecutor that was there as well have come out and they have said there's no way they could prosecute. If this was, you know, prosecuted in a court of law, they would not take the case because there just isn't enough evidence. Even if you believe her, there just isn't enough evidence. And some of Ford's testimony actually made it worse for Ford because the evidence just isn't there. You have to stop, which Don Zickerson can't do. You have to stop this partisan view of things you have to look pat you have to stop who do you believe or whatever you have to step back look at the big picture and understand that if we get away from innocent until proven guilty in this country you are killing individual rights all right continue on we would have known that confidentially inside the judiciary committee is in the FBI wasting its time I don't know what I don't know what the FBI is going to find that the committee has not already found. The the committee staff has already interviewed all the witnesses that Miss Ford cited. They interviewed Miss Ford and Judge Kavanaugh for six hours. Well, they haven't interviewed Mr. Judge. He sent them a letter. That wasn't an interview. So you're not right about that. So they've either interviewed them or they received letters letters under penalty of perjury. That's different. Now these are actual interviews. So I'd be surprised. Stop right there. So I just want to say, and this is this is what I've noticed. Um, on my Twitter, I had people saying this. One of my tweets kind of went viral a little bit. They kept saying, well, why don't they want the FBI to invest? Why don't the Republicans want to investigate? If they believe that Kavanaugh is telling the truth, then why doesn't the FBI investigate? Because it's a delay tactic. That's all it is. The only reason they want the FBI to investigate at all the Democrats is because this is nothing but a delay tactic. They know that the FBI does not come to conclusions, what they, they admitted in hearings in the past. They know it does not come to conclusions. They know that, in fact, the senators in Congress actually have more subpoena power than the FBI right now in all of this. And when the FBI investigation is up, this one, they'll find something else to do. Of course they'll find something else. And actually, that's kind of alluded to a little bit in this interview later. But it's, it's but it's nothing but a delay tactic. And he's exactly right. The witnesses have already given written statements under the penalty of perjury. Oh, but that's not good enough. The, give me a break. If they wanted the investigation, the FBI to investigate, they should have came out with this earlier. This is nothing but a delay tactic. It's as obvious, as plain as day as anyone can see. Okay, continue on. These people, under penalty of perjury, change their statements that they've already given the judiciary. Well, sir, for let me ask you weeks. this. If it turns out that he was not truthful about something that has nothing to do with what allegedly happened 36 years ago, Truthfulness is still something you want in a Supreme Court nominee, though. Is that relevant? What are you talking about, John? But if it turns out in the course of the FBI investigation, so, if his if he's not with the Democrats and they want to have an open-ended fishing expedition, I think okay, that's not stop fair. right there. That's exactly what the Democrats want. 
That is exactly what they want. It's like what they're doing with the whole Mueller investigation. They want this to be an open-ended fishing expedition to delay and to find something, anything, to make sure this guy doesn't get on the Supreme Court. How long will the Russian collusion investigation go on? As long as President Trump is president. Yeah, exactly. We don't. If it becomes an open fishing expedition, it will keep going and going and going. And that's exactly, Tom Khan's exactly right here. And he's saying, oh, that's not fair. Oh, it's completely fair because that's exactly what's going to happen. They want to find something. They've wanted to find something. I mean, think about where this started, this whole thing. Immediately, the Democrats came out grandstanding. The I am Spartacus moment. <laughs> Which, by the way, you know what really, this is kind of off topic a little bit, but you know what really makes me mad? Mm. Saturday Night Live did this whole bit on the Kavanaugh hearing. And they bashed Republicans and they bashed Kavanaugh basically with this whole bit. You couldn't do a bit on Cory Booker, Spartacus, like none of the Democrats. So it's like the Democrats did some crazy stuff during this, this hearing and you can't make fun of them. Oh no. Oh no. No, no, no. Only make fun of the Republicans. Only make fun of Kavanaugh. I mean, there are so many bits you could do with that whole I am Spartacus thing. It's easy comedy and they wouldn't do it. And it's just like, come on. That's why people were so sick of Hollywood and everything. I know that's a little bit off topic, but it was one thing that I noticed. But, he, but you know, Tom Cotton's right. What, what are you talking? He's like, what are you talking about? They know what they're talking about. They want this to continue on. This is not about finding the truth. This is not even about, it's not even about the sexual um, her assault allegation anymore. Notice how it's sort of changed. So all this started with the Democrats coming out grandstanding you had protesters. Then they said he committed perjury. Then they said he was too partisan. Then it came sexual assault. Now it's that he drank too much or because he defended himself. Now he doesn't have the temperament. Notice that. I mean, it's changed over or, or before it was, oh, well, we don't have all the documents. We have to read all the documents, millions of documents. It's been one thing after another, after another, and all of them have been delay tactics. And I'm supposed to take them seriously now about the FBI investigation. Give me a break. Okay, continue on. What are you talking about? I'm asking you if in the investigation <laughs> it turns out that something outside of that is, if his testimony turns out to well, not Well, look, be. as John Kennedy and Lindsey Graham said, if there's some shocking new bit of, not accusation, but evidence and proof, then of course I'm open to evaluating that evidence. But I, I strongly suspect that every statement that was made to the Judiciary Committee under penalty of perjury is the exact same statement that's going to be made to the FBI. Of course. He's exactly right. It was a great interview. Tom Gunn was obviously getting upset, which I don't blame him because John Dickerson was being outright partisan. And the things he was saying was just, were just ridiculous. Some of the stuff, by the way, that the left have come out against Kavanaugh, now the big thing is that he lied about what boofing meant and what the devil's triangle meant. And I'm thinking, okay, if this is what you're going to use now, what he wrote in his yearbook in high school... If this is what you're going to use to try to say, oh, I can't confirm them, you're desperate. You're reaching. They're going to use anything they can yeah. to delay till the election. Yeah, 407-916-5400. You can text to 23680 where standard message and data rates apply. A lot more to say on this. Um, this is Beyond Reason Radio. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe. We will be right back. Listen to the latest episodes of Beyond Reason. Download the podcast at Spreaker.com.
the place where we talk faith, culture, and politics. Beyond Reason Radio continues. Yes, and if you have a comment, you can call us at 407-916-5400 or 866-916-5400. You can also text us at 23680. We're standard message and data rates apply. You can also comment on our Facebook Live video at the Beyond Reason Radio Facebook page. Uh, let's go to... Uh, a call here real quick. Go to Bob in Longwood. Bob, what's your take on this? Uh, thank you, Michael. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, the senator from Arizona, uh, Flake, right? He hates Trump. He hates yep. him. And, 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 and put it this way. When he was in an elevator, right, why was CNN with the cameras and them two ladies were right there? The yep. They were right there. They, they were taking... Yep. Uh, the whole conversation and everything like that. Well, and it's already and, been know, proved that they were, um, you know, basically professional protesters. Yeah. And actually, guess what? It was a setup. This is mm-hmm. all set up. And actually, uh, uh, that senator, right? You watch. He's going to cave. Jeff Believe Lake. me. Well, hopefully. Well, you know, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think it's totally possible he will. Yeah, he's going to. All right. All right, Bob. Because he hates Trump. Yep. And he wish he could be Trump. It never will be. Oh yeah, there like, yeah, there's no there's no way uh <laughs> Flake will ever get to the point of where Trump is. Um by the way, uh uh Carl Jackson will be back next week as a special edition of Beyond Reason Radio tonight, but Carl Jackson will be doing his show next Monday as usual. And he actually uh, sent in a quick text. He said this, he said uh if Dems are going to use Kavanaugh's high school yearbook to disqualify him from the Supreme Court does Cory Booker's confession that he groped a drunk woman when he was 15 disqualify him for running for president? Well, of course not, because he's a Democrat. So, you know, <laughs> no, no way. I won't disqualify him. So, yeah, but don't forget, uh, um, Carl Jackson will be back next week for his show. I appreciate him letting me fill in tonight. Let's take another call here. Let's go to Dusty and Apopka. Dusty, how are you tonight? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Mike? I'm good. Uh, just glad you're calling. Yeah, uh, I'm glad to hear you on the radio again. Love listening to you. And uh, I this appreciate is it. The time we need reason more than ever. Uh, I try. It's hard sometimes. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but I try. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Dusty. So my question for you is: Does Kavanaugh step down amidst all of this? Outrage is the best way I can describe this circus of... Oh, uh, you want me to look at my crystal ball, huh, and see and predict if he's going to step down? Yeah, I would Um, love to hear your thoughts on that. I had a theory on that. Oh, well, Tom Benson will go first. Dusty, I appreciate your call. Thank you so much. My theory on that is he's going to, when he gets confirmed, he's going to say, take this job and shove it. Oh, so he's going to get confirmed and then step down? Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I'm not sure because the way he fought and he said specifically, I will never give up. I know. And then he won't really do that. I just find that very intriguing if he would. (laughs) That would be interesting. But he won't do it because I think he's uh, uh, too appreciative of uh, of the appointment by Trump. And, you know, he's been in this arena for a while, and he definitely doesn't want to cave into them. He is not that guy who wants to cave into them. I mean, I'm not one to predict, 
I, I would see I would see Trump withdrawing his nomination before I see Kavanaugh stepping down. And I really don't see Trump withdrawing his nomination either. So, you know, before before we end this hour, and we have a lot of other topics we're going to get to. I know this topic, this hour has been most has been all Kavanaugh stuff, really. Um, in the next hour, I have other things I want to get to. But I, I found this uh, piece from David French in the National Review. And he's been really good on this whole this whole issue. You know, he's a former lawyer himself. He says, There is entirely inefficient, insufficient evidence to prove even one of the terrible allegations against President Trump's Supreme Court nominee. His whole piece says the case against Kavanaugh is collapsing. He says, A very strange thing happened over the weekend. If you follow Twitter closely, you'll notice that the debate over Brett Kavanaugh moves significantly from the central question of last Thursday's hearing, did he commit sexual assault, to a raging debate over whether he lied about high school dating, college drinking, or high school slang, sorry, college drinking, inside jokes, and whether he was just too angry to be a Supreme Court judge. He's talking about how the debate has all of a sudden changed, which I mentioned earlier. Says this torrent of commentary obscures an important development. The sexual assault claims against Kavanaugh are in a state of collapse. And he brings up the point that Arizona prosecutor Rachel Mitchell released a memorandum to all Republican senators summarizing Ford's evidence against Kavanaugh, saying that there are no cooperating witnesses. The friend says she was. The friend she says was at the party in question has denied being there or knowing Kavanaugh at all. She doesn't know who invited her to the party, where it took place, how she got there, or how she got home after. By her account, Kavanaugh attacked her, but the problem goes beyond gaps in memory. And that prosecutor said she could not bring this case. She would never bring this case forward as a prosecutor because there just isn't enough evidence. The case is collapsing, so the Democrats have changed it, and now they want a fishing expedition by the FBI. Woo, a lot more to get to here in this ep- this special edition of Beyond Reason Radio. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe. We have one more hour to go, so you have to stay with me, and I'll be right back. Yes, it is uh, Beyond Reason Radio. One more hour of Beyond Reason Radio, a special edition of the show here on a Monday night, right here on News Radio 10. Nope, I almost said the wrong one. Uh, Caught myself, though. No, we are no longer on 102.5. We are on 93.1 WFLA, but we're still on AM 540 as well. And I know a lot of you will listen to the podcast of this show later. You can get the podcast anywhere podcasts are available. And by the way, uh, it would be nice if you give me a positive review on the podcast, if you share the podcast with your friends. It's also on YouTube, so get that out there. Usually on at this time on Monday nights, Tom Benson is usually here, but it's Carl Jackson. Carl and the posse are not here. Yeah, they are not here tonight. Carl said he was busy. Um, he wanted me to fill in. He'll be back next week 
And I have to say, Mr. Jackson is uh, really, uh, he's really moving up in the political sphere. I've noticed him uh, doing a lot. He has, he writes columns for Town Hall and, um, you know, World Net Daily. He he was on Tucker Carlson's show. He was on Fox 35. He posted a picture with him with a uh, uh, candidate uh, DeSantis over the weekend. Yeah, too. he's getting a nice Twitter following. So he's really uh, getting out there and moving up. He has a speech he's doing this week. Uh, so a lot of important stuff. So he couldn't do the show tonight, but he asked me to fill in. And I really appreciate him uh, letting me take the couple hours and... Um, be a voice of reason in a world that was definitely beyond reason for the past couple of weeks. If you missed the first hour of the show, uh, make sure to catch it on the podcast because that is when I talked about all things Kavanaugh. Spent the whole first hour talking about the Kavanaugh hearings, my reaction to it, everyone else's reaction to it, some interviews dealing with it, what the Democrats are doing next. So if you missed any of that, just catch the podcast. But I wanted to move on to something else that really caught my attention in the past week or so. It's really not getting a lot of attention in the mainstream out- outlets. I don't know. I don't think you saw this at all anywhere no. until I pointed it out. Yeah. And there's a reason for that, obviously. It doesn't fit the current nar- narrative. Right. So one of the Parkland survivors has left the group he founded, which is the March for Our Lives group. Now, let me back up a little bit. If anyone has been talking about wanting a civil discourse in this country, a more civil debate over politics and culture and faith in this country, it's been me behind this microphone. But there are other people out there really starting to do this because they understand that we are a country of individual rights. And the only way to have tolerance is to have a civil discourse, but to also let others have the right to disagree with you. And there's one person who has come out now who is actually calling for this. And this really surprised me. And it's a big deal to me because of who, what this person was doing just a few months ago. And well, let me play some audio here. This is from the town hall. After the Parkland shooting, the CNN town hall, and one of the kids said this to Marco Rubio. Here it is. Senator Rubio, it's hard to look at you and not look down the barrel of an AR-15 and not look at Nicholas Cruz. But the point is, you're here. And then that kid started berating Rubio, basically implying he doesn't care about kids. Why is he taking money from the NRA? This kid was pretty vicious. His name is Cameron Kasky, student, 17 years old, Parkland. One of the survivors, he's one of the founders of the March for Our Lives group, the anti-gun group. David Hogg was another one, one of the more famous ones. He has now left that group. And he has started a new group that's called Middle Ground. But the reason I wanted to bring this up is because he said some things that if more and more, especially young people, could come to the conclusion that he has come up with, come to, because he's been traveling the country the past few months, and it made him change his mind on some things, which nobody ever does anymore in this society, not in this social media controlled Twitter world. Nobody can change their mind. Everyone 
thinks they know everything. But he actually came to the opposite conclusion. Now, he's done a couple interviews. He did one, um, I believe, on Yahoo News I saw. He was on the Rubin Report, and he was also on uh, Ben Shapiro's Sunday Special. Now, I'm going to grab... He said some more things on all all the interviews he's done, but I grabbed the audio from the, the Sunday special yesterday, the Ben Shapiro Daily Wire show. And one of the first cuts I'm going to play here really is a profound thing when you think about it. And he's exactly right, and I wish more of us would think of this way. And I'm surprised I'm saying this about him because I really did not like him before. He was saying and doing things at the town hall and other places that I felt were really dangerous for the future of this country. So I'm glad he's changed his mind. This is what he said. So one of the lessons I've learned since starting March for Our Lives, and this was a truly difficult one to grasp, was that surprisingly enough, I don't know everything. Now, as a 17-year-old boy who was dead set on the fact that I knew everything, that, was, that threw me for a loop. And halfway through my tour with March for Our Lives this summer, where we were advocating for more accessible voting and encouraging people to register, I realized I, I, was, in, I was in Texas and I spoke to some people. Maybe the people who disagree with me don't want the country to be a bad place. Maybe they just have different views. And I was born in a bubble where my heavily liberal mindset that I still maintain convinced me that anybody who didn't agree with me was had malintent. And, and they didn't. Uh, I thought the people who didn't agree with me on gun laws didn't care when kids died. That's not the case. I learned a lot of things. So This is a really important thing for a young person to, uh, a conclusion to come to. He said, I came to the realization, and it was a hard realization for me, but he said, I came to the realization that I don't know everything. This really is the beginning of wisdom. You know, it was Socrates who was basically said, I am, you know, he was called the wisest person in the world because he admitted he knew nothing. It's where, you know, where a lot of wisdom comes from is when you come to that conclusion. I remember when I was a freshman at UCF and I took a lot of humanities and religious studies classes. I have a religious studies degree. And one of my humanities classes, the teacher went around asking us what we learned. And he came to me and I said, I've learned that I have a lot more to learn, that I don't know nearly enough, and I have a lot more to learn. And he told me, the teacher said, it's the beginning of wisdom. And the teacher looked at us and he said, you know, I realized I went into a library once and I realized I could spend every day reading as many books as possible and probably not make a dent in reading all of the knowledge available at that library or many other libraries that you can study and study and study, but you have to realize you don't know everything and you can't know everything. And wisdom comes from being able to admit that to yourselves so you can open up your mind to learn new things. Now, Cameron Kasky has been saying he still supports gun restrictions. He hasn't changed a lot of his political views. But what he's saying is maybe... Because you disagree with me doesn't mean you're evil. Because you disagree with me doesn't mean you hate children or want bad for the country. You just disagree. And he's right. Can't believe I'm saying that, like I said. But he's right. Now he continues on this point, basically saying what his middle ground group is really all about. 
And it's a good point. Here it is. I think that, strangely enough, the conversation that needs to be pursued is the conversation about conversations, is the fact that, you know, if I'm speaking to somebody who does not share my views on abortion, that does not mean that they are, they want to kill babies or they want to oppress women. I think that if I'm talking to somebody about the Israel-Palestine issue and they, one side of the issue doesn't, doesn't hate Jews and one side of the issue doesn't hate Palestinians, I, I think that we need to stop it. You, you said this to me before. We need to stop, the left and the right need to stop attacking each other's worst arguments. I think that's a big problem. So I'm, I'm here to say, well, where can, not even where can we agree, but how can we approach this respectfully? So he's created this group and he's basically saying what we need to have in this country is a conversation about conversations. That we have to be willing, which I've been saying forever on the show, we have to be willing to peacefully disagree that because... And that's one of the beauties of America is you can have disagreements and you can believe in different things. That's what individual rights is all about. And if we could peacefully disagree, we'd be in a much better place to solve problems in the future. You know, I'm actually uh, reading Glenn Beck's book because Bud's going to be interviewing him later in the week and they sent me a copy. Glenn Beck's book, new book, Addicted to Outrage. And I just started it, but he makes, he's making a lot of these same points. And he even admits, look, I was part of the problem too. But we're too addicted to this outrage. And it's so true that we are. People, I know people that are addicted to social media and they get addicted to the debates on social media and they can't wait to be hate someone else on social media and be outraged at someone else on so, social media. They can't get away with it because it actually does something to your brain. The dopamine actually getting a like or getting a share, or getting a retweet can actually have that effect on your brain, and people are addicted to it. Now, I have to say, I was addicted to it. I got so sick of it all that I go, I mean, I can go a whole day. I'll post stuff on Twitter and Facebook and then not look at it for the rest of the day. I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm so done with it. I'm not addicted to it anymore because I'm, I don't like the outrage. Me personally, if you know me personally, I hate all the outrage. I hate all the arguing. I hate all the anger. It's not me. So, and I think he makes a good point. Now, what's really amazing about this is I, it wasn't that long ago. It was just a few months ago. We were listening to all these interviews with these kids from the March for Our Lives, and they were doing exactly the opposite Mm -hmm. of what he was saying. And some of them still are. David Hogg was the worst, obviously. Now, Cameron Caskey wouldn't admit that David Hogg was the worst, but he was. They're out there and they're trying to stoke outrage and they are trying to stoke hatred for those who disagree with them because they think that's the only way to solve problems. And I really believe, even though Cameron Kasky said this is not why he left, I think it is a big reason why he left. I think he left because he realized that his group, March for Our Lives, was part of the problem, not the solution. But he was asked about this. He was saying, you know, that group, what do you think... uh, is the problem why is that group been so angry? And he had a very humble response here. This is what he said. To be honest with you, a lot of that was me. A lot of that was me telling my friends, you know, these people don't agree with us. They don't care. You know, they, they, they care more about their guns than they care about kids getting killed. Anything I'll criticize about March for Our Lives really comes from me. Uh, I started it. I was, my, I was whispering in my friend's ears the whole time. I know, I know the people in March for Our Lives. I know them pretty much like the back of my hand. And I know that these are people who really just want the world to be a better place. And a lot of our errors in messaging, particularly if you don't like us, you don't care, came from me. And I believed it. And I believed it until relatively recently. I'm embarrassed, certainly, but I'm also 
I'm, I'm not losing sleep over it because I believed it. So he was basically saying that, look, I was part of the problem, that I was actually the worst of them, and I believed it, and I was saying these bad things, and I realized, came to the conclusion that it was wrong, and I had to change my mind, and I had to change my approach. This is really a profound thing that I never see in today's political sphere. And this is from a young person. When I was watching that CNN town hall, I was really fearful for the future and the next generation because it was the opposite of what this country needed. And I'm like, where is this leading us? Mm -hmm. I now finally have a little bit of hope for the next generation. If there are more kids like him. Now, I don't think he's going to get nearly the attention now because unfortunately the opposite of his point, outrage sells now. Outrage is what gets all the attention. We've seen it all over the place. Confrontation. Confrontation. Uh-huh. I've talked about before how it's tempting in this business to be more outrageous, more confrontational, you know, more upsetting because it gets better ratings. It just does. But I just wanted to uh, point that out because I think it's really important that he's doing this. And uh, I, I wish him luck. I hope that he can actually continue to make a difference and we'll see if we can uh, make him more conservative as we uh, go along here. Cause he'll notice that the conservatives are the ones who are more open to this talk. Give him five or 10 years. And some on the left four Oh seven nine one six fifty four hundred. You can text to two, three, six, eight, zero or standard message and data rates apply. So Trump is um, praising or celebrating his new trade deal that is supposed to replace NAFTA. The markets seem to be celebrating it as well. They have a new name for it. Canada signed on in the last second. And um, we'll talk about that, but there's something I want to uh, mention about it as well. Uh, Why I've been so critical on Trump with trade and there was a piece that really did a great job of, of pointing out why free trade is important so we'll get to that next this is beyond reason radio i'm your host michael yaffe we'll be right back download the iheart radio app and catch the beyond reason radio podcast The conscience in your ear telling you the difference between right and wrong. Yaffe is back on the air. All right, this according to the Wall Street Journal. Investors greeted the completion of a new North American trade pack with relief Monday, lifting most indexes as the Trump administration turned its focus on getting the deal through a divided Congress and toward even larger economic feuds with China. It says here, uncertainty about the tra- about trade has been a worry of businesses and investors for months after Mr. Trump began advancing an ambitious agenda that included a new North American free trade agreement, tariffs on U.S. metal imports, and a rewrite of U.S. economic ties with China. The new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, which will replace NAFTA, alleviated some, if not all, of those concerns. Among other things, it allows automakers and other multinational companies to keep intact the complex and costly supply chains built across the continent since NAFTA was completed in 1994. It also won new concessions for U.S. farmers, and this is really the big deal here. I think this is one thing Trump was pushing, and I think he was pushing it because he knows a lot of his base and a lot of 
voters, potential voters, are the U.S. farmers, and even some Democrat voters are in the farmers and the Rust Belt, and he's really trying to push for those votes, and that's why he pushed this. Um, and created new rules for digital commerce across the continent. Um, so let's see here. At the White House ceremony Monday, Mr. Trump touted the deal as a big win for U.S. workers. Among other things, it requires that duty-free cars produced in North America have at least 75% of their content produced in the region and 40% of their content produced by $16 an hour labor. Now, a lot of people are praising that, but you realize what that is, don't you? It's a backhanded way at raising the minimum wage. (laughs) When you are saying that they have to produce it by 40% of their content produced by a $16 an hour labor, that's basically implementing a sort of minimum wage. A lot of conservatives are praising this, but I thought conservatives were supposed to be against raising the minimum wage. Trump basically, and they will never admit this, but this is a backhanded way of raising the minimum wage, at least for one specific industry. Now, um, I actually have some audio here. This was Trump today at the White House talking about his new trade agreement with Mexico and Canada. Here it is. It's my great honor to announce that we have successfully completed negotiations on a brand new deal to terminate and replace NAFTA and the NAFTA trade agreements with an incredible new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement called USMCA. It sort of just works. MCA. I'm thrilled to speak to the American people to share truly historic news for our nation and, indeed, for the world. Throughout the campaign, I promised to renegotiate NAFTA And today we have kept that promise. It's a privilege for them to do business with us. And I'm not talking about Mexico. I'm talking about everybody. Everybody. It's a privilege for China to do business with us. It's a privilege for the European Union, who has treated us very badly, but that's coming along, to do business with us. Japan, every country. All right, another thing that came out of this, by the way, according to the Wall Street Journal, U.S. dairy farmers also got what they wanted when Canada agreed to drop its complex Class 7 system, which limited imports of certain dairy products from the U.S. It was a tough concession by Canadians that led to the weekend breakthrough after some time bitter talks between the U.S. and Canada. So the farmers are going to be happy. The Rust Belt workers are going to be happy. And that's a big reason why Trump is doing this. But I wanted to read this piece from Investors Business Daily by Steve Forbes and uh, Tim Phillips. The Steve Forbes? I believe so, yeah. Wow, okay. (laughs) Wow, yeah, (laughs) big, big fan of Steve Forbes over there in the control room. Um, um, They talked about why free trade is important because I think there's still a lot of confusion over what exactly Trump believes on believes in in trade. You know, sometimes he talks and it sounds like he's a free trader and other times he talks and it sounds like he really thinks tariffs are good and everything. So it's kind of confusing and it's been confusing in the past. And I think it's a point. It's important to point out why free trade is important and why Trump is wrong sometimes on trade. 
from Investors Business Daily. It says, human beings, not governments, trade. So why do governments make it harder? Mm. A lot of times, and they're right, a lot of times when you think about trade, you're thinking, when you think about these trade deals, you're thinking about governments, but it's not the governments who are doing the trading. It's individuals and companies that do the trading. It says here um, in the piece, China doesn't buy enough American cars. Canada doesn't buy any Amer- enough American dairy. Britain doesn't buy enough American airplanes. You've been hearing this argument for years, but the passage of time hasn't made it any more valid because it's based on a faulty premise. It says nations such as China, Canada, and the UK don't buy things from America. Individual Chinese, Canadian, and British individuals and businesses buy things from Americans. And Americans buy things from them. These are people and businesses making individual choices about what they want to buy and sell and with whom. This is why so much of the trade deficit talk is just nonsense because it's acting like it's government trading. It's not. It's individuals. Continues on here. It says, while trade is conducted at the individual level, what we read and hear is more along the lines of the U.S. good trade deficit with the EU was $146.8 billion in 2016. What that means in the real world is that together Americans bought $146.8 billion more stuff from Europeans than Americans sold to them. It says no one was harmed by these voluntary transactions and the millions of people involved on both sides of the Atlantic got what they wanted. That's why it's called trade. The same holds true in your personal lives. How, how's your own trade deficit with Amazon or Walmart or your local grocery store? Are they buying a lot of stuff you produce? Probably not. But your relationships remain voluntary and mutually beneficial. You get the books and clothes and the, and the rutabagas you want. <laughs> they get the cash. Everybody wins. Says the tendency to think of trade in terms of surpluses and deficit obscures the more fundamental principle at issue. People have the right to voluntarily exchange goods and services with whomever they want, whenever they want. In a society based on equal rights and mutual benefit, the government should not be second guessing these individual decisions made freely between two willing parties. I think he's exactly right. Continues on later here. He says. Lest we forget the founding fathers believed that private property was the guardian of every other right. Indeed, the Fifth Amendment puts property on equal footing with life and liberty. When government purposely makes it harder for trade and certain people to trade and support their family, it is unjustly denying the fruits of their labor and the right to their own property. I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. Why do so many who, who would object to this kind of government intervention in any other context fail to object when it comes to to trade. And then it talks about this. He says, President Trump is convinced that the Chinese are under pressure to make a deal with us. He just announced a fresh set of tariffs, yada, yada, yada. It would cover just about all Chinese imports to the United States. And he talks about the European Union. He says, of course, the best way to get to zero tariffs 
is to go to zero tariffs. Trump said he wants zero tariffs. If you want zero tariffs, then get rid of all our tariffs. We don't need to wait for anyone else to act. Getting our own house in order would help Americans by cutting costs and encouraging innovation that help improve lives. To take just one example of a product used by tens of millions of people every day, sugar costs Americans 52% more than the world price, about $4.4 billion per year because, why? Because we tariff sugar. Because we tariff sugar, we pay for it here. A lot of people don't know that. We keep seeing, we keep hearing we're getting screwed by all these other countries when, in fact, we impose tariffs on other countries, especially when it comes to sugar. Um, he says, forget China versus America. This is our government versus Americans. The irony is that the president is erecting barriers to trade at the same time the economy is booming because he took the opposite approach in the rest of the economy. On taxes and regulations, he reduced barriers that hold people back and prevent them from realizing their potential. He helped get government out of their lives. It doesn't make much sense to lower barriers in some parts of the economy while raising them in others. A better approach would be to double down on the economic policies that are contributing to our booming economy and pursue policies that make it easier and less costly to trade. I think it's exactly right there. It was a commentary in Investors Business Daily by Steve Forbes and Tim Phillips. There's so much misconception when it comes to trade and trade policies. We don't look at it as we should, which is individuals and businesses trading with each other voluntarily. And now we want to impose more restrictions. And that's why a lot of the tariff talk is not good. Now, hopefully it will lead to better things in the future. It apparently has in some ways with this trade deal with Canada and Mexico and other ways, uh, it didn't, which I mentioned earlier. All right, I have much more to get to. I am filling in for Carl Jackson. Carl Jackson usually does his show at this time, but Carl Jackson will be back next week. And Carl Jackson actually wrote an interesting piece, uh, I believe like a week ago, dealing with the governor's race in Florida that I actually was, it was one of those things where I hope he is wrong but I think he's probably right. It got a lot of attention has to do with Ron DeSantis and Andrew Gillum and Adam Putnam. And of course, president Trump, we have that much to get to. Oh, by the way, I'm going to end the show. I haven't done this in a while. I'm going to end the show with things that made Yaffe laughy. I know a lot of people have missed that segment. This is beyond reason radio. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe. We'll be right back. If you like beyond reason radio, well, make sure to show it by liking the Facebook page at facebook.com slash beyond reason radio. This is Orlando's Smart Talk Radio. Beyond Reason Radio continues now. So uh, there was something that happened on Friday that really did not get any attention we were all distracted by the Kavanaugh stuff, but it's kind of important. Here's the headline. Trump signed spending bill preventing government shutdown. Yes. Yeah. I guess how much money that was in that spending package. Just $854 billion. Oh, it averts the shutdown. Oh, by the way, uh, it doesn't have any of that funding for the border wall like Trump wanted. So um, there's, there's, there's that. 
Uh, combined with an earlier measure, Trump has signed into law almost $1 trillion in spending for 2019, about three-fourths of the total under a bipartisan agreement. Uh, Friday marks the first time since 1996 that the government has succeeded in getting five of the 12 annual spending bills signed into law before the new fiscal year begins. It's become pretty obvious that Trump uh, is not a fan of government shutdowns. He's not going to be shutting down the government, I think, to uh, fund the wall or to cut spending. So, I mean, I just wanted to throw that out there. That's it. That's happening. We're still going more and more and more and more into debt. I mean, we're all focused on the culture war. Every day it's something new about the culture war while our country is, you know, heading to fiscal ruin. So, so um, there's that. Thought you should all know. This is Beyond Reason Radio, by the way. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe, the voice of reason, the voice of truth in a world that is beyond reason. This is a show where we talk faith, culture, and politics. We're on until 10 p.m. on this special edition here on News Radio 93.1 WFLA. I'm filling in for Carl Jackson. Carl Jackson will be back for his show next Monday night. He asked me to fill in because he had other things he was doing. But Carl Jackson had a really interesting piece. I wanted to point out that he wrote on his blog and a couple other places. Here's the headline. This is one of those things where I'm afraid he's probably right. I hope not. He said, will Trump regret endorsing Ron DeSantis? Mm -hmm. Now, the main reason Carl Jackson wrote this piece, I'm sure, is to really push Ron DeSantis to get out there and really campaign better because he really hasn't been doing that great of a job. He did much better in the primary. I think he kind of thought it was a shoe-in, and all of a sudden the polls are coming out and saying, oh, no, because Gillum's actually been up by quite a bit. And Gillum's a good campaigner. He's a very, very good campaigner. And I've noticed Ron DeSantis recently has come out and kind of attacked Gillum over corruption. I think that's fine, but I think what you really need to do is attack him over his economic policies because I think the pro-business state of Florida is not going to like a lot of those economic policies. And once they realize what they mean, they probably could get more people on your side, DeSantis. That's my opinion for what it's worth. But here is uh, Carl Jackson in his piece. He says, will Trump regret endorsing Ron DeSantis? He says, Ron DeSantis may have gotten President Trump's endorsement for Florida's gubernatorial primary, but he lacks Trump's charisma and an ability to connect in with an audience in the same way. And that could make all the difference in November's general election. This is Florida's agricultural commissioner and former representative Adam Putnam was a shoe in to win the GOP primary, then came President Trump. As of last week, leading up to the general election, DeSantis trails his domestic socialist opponent, Andrew Gillum, by six points. It's according to uh, the latest Rasmussen poll. There's been other polls. Has Gillum up by more, I think. Says Trump first endorsed uh, DeSantis in a December 2017 tweet um, and talked about his rally. Said DeSantis relied far too heavily on Trump's endorsement, as well as his national television appearances on Fox News with conservative giants Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram. At times, it has felt like he's been running for a safe seat in Congress rather than for Florida's top job. Many Republican voters here in Orlando. He says he's spoken to, have asked him, where is DeSantis? Is he holding any events? Is he even on the campaign trail? I haven't really seen much. Seems like he's kind of ramped it up a little bit recently. But um, he's basically making the point. I'm afraid he might be right. 
It says, undoubtedly, Ron DeSantis has an uphill battle if he's going to win Florida's governorship in November, in part because he hasn't put in the work Adam Putnam did. Furthermore, despite his dangerous big government policies, Andrew Gillum is a handsome, charismatic, and likable guy in the vein of Barack Obama. So there's a lot of, there's a lot at stake for Floridians if Gillum wins. DeSantis should be shouting that everywhere, that everywhere possible. This is exactly what I was saying earlier, including a local news stations he began avoiding leading up to the Tampa rally. Says Florida has no state income tax and a balanced budget amendment. With Gillum's advocacy for free health care and free college tuition for all, taxes would have to skyrocket. So-called free health care alone would cost Florida's middle class a lot of money out of their paychecks. That is if employers can afford to keep up, yada, yada, yada. Says we all know that Ron DeSantis is a solid conservative who can intelligently communicate conservatism and constitutional principles. In his debates with Gillum, I expect him to expose how foolish, costly, and hurtful the Democrat policies would be to all Floridians. Says DeSantis has been a great conservative congressman, but outside of garnering garnering Trump's endorsement, he hasn't run a very good campaign. This is all from Carl Jackson in his piece that he wrote last week, basically saying maybe Trump might regret endorsing Ron DeSantis. What do you think, Tom Benson? Because this is something that you had brought up to me before the show. I think um, DeSantis needs to be out there hustling like he's the underdog that he he is. (laughs) Well, I mean, and, you know, a lot of times when Bud brings this up or I bring this up or other people bring this up, the first thing I hear is, well, the polls are fake. Mm -hmm. Don't believe the polls. Mm -hmm. They're fake polls. Mm -hmm. And I understand that to a point because... They were very wrong in the primaries. Very wrong. None of the polls had DeSantis winning by that much, and none of the polls had Gillum winning. So I can understand some skepticism when it comes to it comes to that. But when you're talking about Rasmussen, which is lean Republican lately, you've talked about some GOP polls which show that Gillum is winning and that Andrew and Ron DeSantis has a problem. I think maybe it's time for DeSantis to get out there. Right. Don't take don't take it for granted. And there's only one debate set between the two of them. Oh, really? Only one? That's going to be October 24th. Now, I know that DeSantis was down from Adam Putnam until the debate. The debate really helped DeSantis. Oh, absolutely. That time. So maybe he's thinking that he could win the debate and that's going to really push him. Well, you know, there's going to be a visit from uh, President Trump. Yeah, that's true. Um, Gillum's a great debater, though, and he's oh, great on the trail. He makes a great, a great appearance. He's great on interviews. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just it's very difficult for me to believe that this state is going to vote in a Democratic Socialist, a usual pro-business state. If that happens, I just think I just think it's more Ron DeSantis's fault than Andrew Gillum. I, I don't know. Because I really don't want to state an income tax, Tom Benson. I already don't make enough money. I don't <laughs> I don't want to state an income tax. 407-916-5400. You can text to 23680 where standard message and data rates apply. I'm going to end the show today with things that made Yaffe laughy. This is Beyond Reason Radio. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe. We'll be right back. Subscribe to the Beyond Reason podcast today on your Stitcher app and hear the voice of reason anytime. 
in a world that is beyond reason is back now. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is a special edition of Beyond Reason Radio, special Monday night edition here on News Radio 93.1 WFLA. If you missed any of the show, catch the podcast anywhere podcasts are available. I got Tom Benson producing as well. And Tom Benson, you told me during the break that so far there's only one debate between Andrew Gillum and Ron DeSantis set up. DeSantis has agreed to more debates, but Gillum only one. Is that correct? Right. And uh, the debate on the Telemundo uh, station here in Orlando is 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 agreed upon by DeSantis. But uh, for the Spanish audience, uh, Gillum has made a commitment to a Miami station. So that needs oh, to be worked okay. out. Well, I was going to ask you, why do you think it is that DeSantis is agreeing to all these? But Gillum, what's I mean, what's the holdup here? I think he's, uh, I don't know. You think maybe yeah. he's just in the lead and yeah, doesn't have, want to ruin his I lead? Have, or? I have no idea really about that. Uh, Gillum, I'm sure, has access to his own polling, and I think he's going to basically make his decision as the polls go during the next few weeks. Gotcha. Very interesting. Before we get to the Yaffy Laffy segment, I did want to share something I just saw on Facebook, which it, you know, not sure how verifiable it is, but I'm just going to say it's true. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. According to, uh, it was on, uh, according by to a guy named Wes Langler from uh, WhiskeyRiff.com. Oh, this is, uh, that's credible. Yes, I've heard of them. <laughs> so psychologists warn Christmas music too early Uh-oh. is bad for your health. Okay. See, it's totally true. I'm telling you. This is very... Says according to clinical psychologist Linda Blair, the constant barrage of Christmas tunes too early in the season forces people to remember all the things they have to do before the holiday. Blair says the songs are a reminder to buy presents, cater parties, organize travel, and all the more stressful chores during Christmas. You're simply spending all of your energy trying not to hear what you're hearing. Mm. I completely agree with all of this. Wait till December 1st. <laughs> December 1st. Okay, maybe the day after Thanksgiving. I'll give you that. Tell that to the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> they run all these Christmas movie uh, movies starting Halloween night. Yeah, I, I was think. about to say they they start in July. I think. Yeah. Well, they they, actually... they do they do Christmas in July <laughs> to get ready for it. I'm really bad to watch those movies with because they're I just make fun of them as I'm but, watching them. But it works. They're usually number one with women twenty five to fifty four oh, yeah. oh, in, no- in November it. and December. I mean, yeah, there there is no doubt they found a niche and mm-hmm. they're just like successful with it. Mm-hmm. It says here in the piece, she states that hearing the same songs over and over each day makes workers struggle to tune it out and they become unable to focus on anything else. Christmas music is likely to irritate people if it's played too loudly and too early. I agree. Just like all this pumpkin spice nonsense everywhere. <laughs> there was a cartoon I saw on Facebook. This guy's at the gas station, and he's looking at the pump, and the pump has three selections of gasoline. <laughs> Regular, uh, leaded or unleaded, and then pumpkin spice. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. All right. We've already been laughing a little bit, but it is that time of the show once again. (laughs) Yes, it is time 
for things that made Yaffe laughy. <laughs> and today, it was actually President Trump. He can be he can be uh, really funny. Uh, uh, he can be really funny. I mean, a lot of times when he does these rallies, he's pretty much like a stand-up comedian. But um, this was actually, cut two here, is actually from his West Virginia rally. And he was talking about Diane Feinstein and how she leaked or didn't leak the letter dealing with uh, Blasey Ford. Or Blasey Ford, I don't know what his name. And this is, this is a little bit, it's pretty funny. Did you leak the document? Uh, uh, what? Uh, no, uh, no, I, I didn't leak, uh, well, wait one minute. Uh, did we leak? Oh, oh, no, no, we didn't leak. <laughs> that's funny because it's true, because that's yeah. exactly what went down yeah. during, and like, see, there's something right there. Get back to the Saturday Night Live Shh. thing. Saturday Night Live could have made fun of that whole thing, and they didn't. Right. They only focused on attacking the Republicans. I shouldn't be surprised, but it's just annoying. She really had no idea whether she talked to her staff about it or not, but somebody in her staff sitting behind her bailed her out on that one. Yeah, I mean, to act like you can't make fun of the Democrats because they're not as funny, there's so much material out there that you can use, and Trump's the only one doing it, I guess. Now, Trump actually made some funny comments today as well when he was promoting the trade deal, and then he took questions from reporters, and he was asked about the Kavanaugh thing. And there's a little bit of self-deprecating humor here from Trump, which is, you know, a little unusual, but kind of nice. It was pretty funny. This is what Trump said about, you know, Kavanaugh's drinking. Lie about his drinking. Does that mean you'll pull his... I don't think he did. Okay. I, uh, look, here's, here's what... I'm just saying, I'm not a drinker. I can honestly say I never had a beer in my life, okay? Right. It's one of my... Only good traits. I don't drink. Whenever they're looking for something good, I say, I never had a glass of alcohol. I've never had alcohol. I've just, you know, for whatever reason. Can you imagine if I had what a mess I'd be? Would I be the, I'd be the world's worst. But I never drank. I never drank, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty funny. I mean, people, you know, Trump a lot of times can be, you know, over the top and him praising himself and all that. But he can be self-deprecating. I mean, stuff like that. People respond to that. It humanizes them. I mean, Trump doesn't get enough credit, I think, for making comments like that. It's pretty funny. But his best comment, the funniest comment of the day, was also talking about, you know, Kavanaugh and drinking. This was today at the press conference dealing with the trade deal. But, of course, Kavanaugh came up and he was continuing talking to reporters about that. And this comment was, uh, I think, the laughy yaffy comment of the day. Here it is. I mean, there are bad reports on everybody in here. Most of the people sitting down there bit, except for Mike Pence, by the way. <laughs> and if we find one on him, then I'm, I think that's, that's going to be, that'll be the greatest shock of all time. So, and by the way, it, I thought that was great, except Mike Pence, by the way. <laughs> Mike Pence is great. Um, but um, I thought, I thought it was interesting that he also brought up that he's seen other senators in compromising mm -hmm. positions, but he wouldn't name names or whatever. He just threw that out there. Well, look at the $17 million that have been made in uh, payments yeah. that have been made to congressional people uh, on behalf of congressional people to hush up things. $17 million. Come on. <laughs> and it's, you know, it, it's really a good point because... 
it's funny how the people that are really like criticizing Kavanaugh, going after him, saying they believe her and all that stuff. It's Hollywood, which has no credibility on this issue. It's Washington and Congress, which we know like that what Trump says there is true, that a lot of them definitely don't have any credibility on this issue. And it's, of course, the New York news media, the New York DC LA news media. They're teetotalers. They don't, they don't, they don't drink. Oh, yeah, they don't drink. No, they don't, no, no. they don't, there's no sexual misconduct in any of those. Oh, it's just all, it's all nice and clean. They're, they're just like, they're just, you know, after, after they're done in their media outlets, they just go home and they read the Bible and they, uh, <laughs> they pray. I'm sure that's what's going on. All right. I appreciate Carl. I have to thank Carl Jackson for, uh, letting me, uh, fill in and do my show tonight. He will be back next week i appreciate you listening if you missed any of the show i talked about kavanaugh a lot in the first hour miss any of the show check out the facebook live video on the beyond reason video facebook page or check out the podcast anywhere podcasts are available thanks to tom benson for producing and well i'll catch you guys next time lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well there you have it you can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details